Welcome, Highfalutin Ski Bum Podcast, episode number 120, and it is your pals, Mario and Brian. Mario, what is up? Uh, busy week this week, a uh, little bit of shitness going on, but I tell you what, I'm happy to be podcasting. That's right, I hear you. It's, uh, it's nice to get away from the real world and get into the podcasting, chill, ski, happy Magical world. Of Magical world zone. It's like, uh, this is the place where we can kind of define our own reality and our own existence and trying to just focus on the things that we truly find important and the things that really matter to us instead of all the nonsense that we're forced to deal with every day in our quote unquote real lives. Exactly. So, And I'm so down here in Florida where it's hot as Satan's dick right now, so... And Satan's dick is mighty toasty. So I have heard. So thank you everybody for listening. We really do appreciate it. Check us out. Skibumpodcast.com. We are on the socials. Twitter.com slash skibumpodcast. Facebook.com slash skibumpodcast. Instagram.com slash skibumpodcast. We are on Pinterest as the Highfalutins. And we're on SoundCloud as Highfalutin-Skibum. So please check us out, go to your favorite podcasting app, subscribe and rate us. We would really appreciate it. So with that, it's time for our prey today. So Brian, what do you got for our prey today? Like, I know since you're off the wagon now, not on the way, not the way. I guess is off the wagon mean you're drinking again? I don't remember. Uh, somebody's on the wagon. They're not. They're off the wagon. Yeah, you're on the wagon, you're not drinking. You're off the wagon, you're drinking. Okay. So I guess the wagon I, is where you don't drink. I don't know. Off the wagon. Uh, there's a bar in New York called Off the Wagon. I know that in like the village. Um, well, apparently the idiom falling off of the wagon uh, means drinking alcohol again. So yes, I'm off the wagon. On the wagon, again. you're not drinking. Off the wagon, you're, you are drinking. Yes. Confirmed. Oh man, I just closed up the window. Uh, See, this is what Cheers is good for. Yeah, I believe it was the ancient Peloponnesians that were uh, <laughs> when the wagon used to go around the neighborhood. Those gods, those gods and Peloponnesians. Uh, the original version of the expression on the water wagon or water cart, which isn't heard anymore, best explains the phrase. During the late 19th century, water carts drawn by horses wet down dusty roads in the summer. At the height of the Prohibition Crusade in the 1890s, men who vowed to stop drinking would say that they were thirsty indeed, but would rather climb aboard the water cart to get a drink than break their pledges. From this sentiment came the expression, I'm on the water cart, I'm trying to stop drinking, which is first recorded in, of all places, Alice Caldwell Rice's Mr. Wiggs of the Cabbage Patch where the consumptive Mr. Dick says to the old Mrs. Wiggs, the more alliterative wagon soon replaced cart in the expression, and it was eventually shortened to on the wagon, fall off the water wagon, made its entry into the language almost immediately after its abstinent sister. Wow. What a freaking description. So there you go. That's from stackexchange.com. So if you're on the wagon, you're on the water cart wagon. Right. The water cart wagon to maintain your sobriety. So it makes sense when you know the wagon is a water wagon. Yes. 
problem is you don't know. And I'm like, is it a beer cart? If it's a beer wagon, then on the wagon means you're drinking, right? And you fell off it means you got too drunk and you fell off and you can't drink anymore because the wagon went away. The wagon is full of water and it's boring and lame. And when you get off of it, that's where the party is. There we go. There you go. Right, yes. So now that we got that settled. All right. So now we know. So now I'm off the wagon. And I will tell you, so last, my first drink was that beer that I had to the podcast last time. And I don't want to be a Debbie Downer when it comes to the booze now, but like the next morning I felt like shit with one beer. Like my fingers felt like swollen and like inflammated, inflamed, inflammated. I like inflammated. Let's go Inflammated. Like it's just inflammated and like swollen and shitty. Um, But the next day I went and had, I made... Yeah, hot dog fingers. Kind of <laughs> gross. Next day I had like I made mango margaritas because it was like becoming Cinco de Mayo. It was actually Cuatro de Mayo, which was close enough for me. I made mango margaritas and they were awesome. But again, I felt like so shitty the next morning. I was planning to go running. It didn't happen. I didn't do anything. Um your chi right there, man. My chi was getting smacked. Then like Saturday turned into like, you know, there was bourbon involved and I had a beer and just and cake, like cake too. Again, and I think one of the bad things about All the inflammatories, like the bad sugar thing, and alcohol, and that's what the alcohol does. It leads me to making bad food decisions, not just bad life decisions, bad food decisions. Um, so I'm not going to stop drinking, obviously, but I'm just trying to see if I can somehow alter my decision-making process after consuming the booze. That all being said, that's a lot of rigmarole and run around. Talk about what I'm drinking today. I really didn't feel like beer at all. I wanted something a little more fun, a little lighter. So I decided to go rooting through the old liquor cabinet. And I realized I have a lot of alcohol. And a lot of it, like I, I mean, I can actually almost tell you when I procured all of the bottles because there's such a wide range. I'm like, Oh, I bought this like six years ago. This was just like last summer whatever. Now I got a bottle a few years ago from some friends who came over and I got these bottles and I was like, what the hell am I going to do with this? It's from a company called art in the age. Now, I don't know if you've ever seen these bottles and you obviously podcast fans, you can't see because we don't put this in the video format. Um, this company, they do a couple different drinks. They do uh, a one called root, which is like a root beer liqueur. They do one, which is called snap, which is like a, uh, like a ginger snap liqueur. But I have the one called rhubarb tea and it's a certified organic neutral spirit with a rhubarb and other botanicals native to rural North America. And this is pretty cool. Now, those who know me in the real world, IRL, IR in the real world, IRW, totally screwed that up. Um, know me that I am a big Ben Franklin fan. I'm a history buff and I, I love anything that has to do with Ben Franklin. He's one of my, he's my man crush, as my wife says. And I found this fascinating that I got this bottle of this rhubarb liqueur. And this company, they're based out of, I thought it was Philadelphia, but it's actually Los Angeles. So I was way off. But they talk about, they have like a, a little Philadelphia picture on the back here. And the bottle came with a little tag with a bunch of, you know, recipes and whatnot. And it turns out there was like a little story in there about rhubarb and rhubarb tea. And they mentioned that if you grew up in Pennsylvania, chances are you've consumed your share of rhubarb, pies, teas, jams, etc. And it turns out that 
Benjamin Franklin actually brought rhubarb to America. Ooh, so now you're a Ben Franklin rhubarb pie-eating motherfucker right now. Ah, uh, friggin' no doubt about it. I mean, I loved strawberry rhubarb, par, the rhubarb pie back in the day, and then I found out Ben Franklin was actually... Strawberry rhubarb Entenmann's? Oh. Do you have Entenmann's in Florida? Oh, they have Entenmann's everywhere. Long Island, where I grew up, they had the little factory there. They used to the have best the is outlet thing. The outlet store, yeah. It's like there's like the rejected Entenmann's. <laughs> I, it was like the first a little too much, A little too much jizz on top. This is going to the outlet store. It was the outlet store before the outlet store. It was like... It was at the factory, so you'd have to drive there. And I remember, like, everybody in the neighborhood, oh, we're going to the Entenmann's. They're, like, making the Entenmann's run. They'd get, like, fucking pies like crazy. Like, look, we got pies for, like, the whole year. <laughs> As That's a little awesome. kid, you're like, wow, we got all this shit in the freezer now. That stuff really was, like, when you were a kid, that was, like, the greatest thing on the planet was Entenmann's. It was hard to get, too. And it was, like, if you had the outlet stores, like, wow. It, you know, now they have them frequently around. When I was in Wayne, there was the um, Tasty Cake outlet. And I was like, ah, let me go to the outlet. And it was just like all chemical induced tasty cake, but it was there. And I was like, yeah, it was cheap too. And I was like, this is, if I was a little kid, I'd, I'd go great, but I don't want diabetes right now. <laughs> this was made in October of 2013. Still fresh till December of 2018. Right. Had I known they were going to change the Twinkie cream filling recipe and take out those crystals, I would have bought the last few boxes and still been eating those things. Would have been gold. Man, I love the old Twinkies. What if they sell them on eBay? I'm sure they would. They have them there somewhere. So anyway, so the, so in 1771, Benjamin Franklin brought back rhubarb seeds from Europe and gave it to his friend, who was a botanist, John Bartram, who started the uh, Bartram's Garden in Philly, which is America's oldest botanical garden. And then in the late 18th century, cane sugar became affordable, which changed the way rhubarb was enjoyed. Because rhubarb, I guess its leaves are actually poison, but the stalks are where the what you use for, for cooking and eating. But you mix it with sugar and it just, it takes to a whole new level because it's very tart. But when you add a little sugar, it, it makes it very, very palatable and enjoyable. I think raw rhubarb tastes pretty disgusting, right? It's pretty rough. Yeah. So add a ton of sugar in it. Yeah, it's what you pretty much have to do. But it uh anything it tastes good, right? Yeah. So this uh this liqueur actually comes from, you know, is based on that, you know, on rhubarb. It's got a bunch of other flavors to it, beets, carrots, lemon, uh petit petit grain, petit grain, cardamom, cane sugar. And then um it actually comes from that Bartram's prize rhubarb. That's what they use for this liqueur. So I got this I got this bottle and I was looking at all the different recipes and it's like it, it, everything, every recipe that it's had, like I was missing one or two of the ingredients. So I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to do my own thing. So I took about three shots of this stuff, which is like an 80 proof liqueur. So it's no joke. And I mixed it with ice and a little bit of vodka, a couple of splashes of Kirkland margarita, which pre-made is dynamite with the tequila in it and some club soda. What else? And a little bit of triple sec. And I made this big old cup of this stuff and I've been sipping on it for the last two hours and it is pretty damn delicious. Nice. It's like a nice, like summery light drink that you can kind of, you know, sip on for a couple hours at the beach or hanging out in the party, not get too hammered on, you know, put a lot of ice in there. Just uh, enjoy it. 
you, you got to come up with a name for it now. This is it. Then you call that cocktail. We can put it out for people and, and you just call it by name. I'm going to call it Frankalicious. Franklin, Franklin, uh, yeah. Um, a Franklin cocktail. I don't know. Something, it's got to be Franklin related because it's, you know, an homage to Ben Franklin. Benjamin cocktail? But uh, um, maybe just call it a, a Frosty Ben. I don't know. Rhubarb Ben? It could be an homage to my son as well. Ah, Rhubarb Ben? <laughs> a Ruben. A Ruben? <laughs> uh, I don't know. It needs, the name needs some work, but... Hey, you gotta work on a name. That, that makes it... That puts it over the edge. How about a Ben Garita? Ben Garita. All right, we're, we're going to have to... It is part margarita, so... Yeah, call it a Benarita. Benarita. All right. All right. Um, so for me, I am drinking a... After uh, talking to Parlor Skis and talking about Lord Hobo, I uh, still have some in the fridge that I figured might as well polish off now. So I'm having a little boom sauce, which nice. is uh, Lord Hobo's uh, IPA. Uh, this is a good, easy-drinking IPA, I tell you. Um, comes in a nice big can. It's a, uh, it's a pint can, which I like. So it's not a, uh, what is it? What's a pint? 16 ounces, 12 ounces? Uh, I think it's 16 ounces, 14. right? It's 16. Looks like a tall boy. So I think a pint is, uh, let's look at the official pint. It is 0.125 US gallons. 16 ounces. So it's a 16 ounce. So it's a tall boy. I like, uh, the size. And this thing is a 7.8% alcohol. So uh, I polished it off pretty quickly. So I'm probably feeling it now. <laughs> but they are, uh, yeah. So Lord Hobo in uh, Woburn, Massachusetts. Uh, very good. Yeah, you can get that down by you? Uh, this one I got, yeah. I got it in Tampa. Nice. I got it not even in Tampa, north of Tampa, Newport Richie, about a... I don't know, 50 minutes from Tampa. Wow. Which means the distributor carries it. So they're, they're in the main line for distribution. So I imagine you can get this most places then, or at least on the East coast. Yeah. I know I've, I've a bunch of places by me have it and yeah, they're in New Jersey. They're, they're, they're spread in the last year or two pretty significantly because they're putting out good beer. Yeah. Well, it's funny. I looked on, uh, I think it was, um, with beer menus to find out like if they had it, like, you know, where they had it or where I could buy it. And they listed it at a place near me. And I was like, nah, it's a tiny little liquor store, you know, beer store. And I know they do have craft beer in there. I was like, all right, let me go in and see. I'm like, yeah, they had like the boom sauce. They had like three or four different Lord Hobos. And I'm like, wow, they, they're, they're legit. And then I started looking at the other stuff. I'm like, yeah, they have some pretty legit stuff in there. So you never know where you're going to find this stuff. So I think it's pretty cool. And then I, of course I found the, the place right across from Prohibition Pig that somebody uh, let us know about on the podcast, uh, which was fun, and ordered from there. And that's how I got the one from last week and my sip of sunshine, which I'm coveting. <laughs> nice. So, And I'm going to wash that down after my chaser, after I'm done with the boom sauces. Uh, Cigar City Highlight. Nice. That's a nice one-two punch right there. That's my steady down here. I realize I'm like, you know, Highlight's a substantial it's a substantial beer it's it's legit yeah you order it down here too and it's funny like they'll be like 
uh, domestic or local, you know, pints, you know, they have like a deal on it. And some places will be like, oh, you want the the, the short one or the, or the tall one? Like, yeah, I'll get the tall. Maybe like the 22 ounce highlight. I'm like, that's like three beers. <laughs> Ooh, that's a lot. Yeah. Oh my God damn. That's like three or four beers I'm, I'm having. So have you tried any of their, um, their variations of the highlight? Isn't it like a couple like aged, like different barrel aging in them? Um, I didn't do the different highlights, but I did some of their other stuff like the Guayabera. Um, they did a few other ones that were pretty, pretty damn good. Um, I had a stout one, which was pretty good. The, um, the Maduro. Um, I had some red beer from them when I was in Florida last time. Yeah. I forgot which one. Cigar City. Yeah. They have their Florida cracker, which is another one that's, uh, it's more of a light, a light beer. That was pretty good. It's the easy drinking, like summer kind of beer. Uh, yeah, they make some good stuff Cigar City, but I'm doing. I'm joining the north of Lord Hobo and the south of Highlight. It's like bringing um, the king in the north and like the the, uh, the people from uh, was it Dorn from the south, like, like the, the Martells. Yeah, the Mart. It's bringing those two houses together. It's kind of creating a party in my in my mouth. Nice, and it probably tastes like Virginia, right? <laughs> <laughs> They're, they're fighting in Virginia. Let's put it that way. That's true. It's a civil war in your mouth. Mason Dixon line going around right there. <laughs> funny. So, so that's how the operate today is sizing up. And now I believe it's time, Brian, for us to take a ride. Yes. Let's get into the Ganjula. The old Ganjula. The Ganjula. Everybody loves the Ganjula. How could you not, right? <laughs> so this is one of the dumbest stories I've seen in a long ass time. So here's the article from Pantograph. Uh, they're saying that if Illinois legalizes marijuana, what happens to the pot sniffing dogs? And they say that training and court cases could affect 275 certified narcotic detection canines. And if... <laughs> It's absolutely ridiculous. Um, it is ridiculous. Yeah. So they said that police agencies spend thousands of dollars and months of training to teach dogs how to sniff out and alert officers of the presence of marijuana, heroin, cocaine, and other drugs. If pot becomes legal, the dogs would likely either have to be retrained, which some handlers say is impossible, impossible or impractical, or retired. Um, the biggest uh, thing, <laughs> the biggest thing for the law enforcement is you're going to have to replace all of your dogs. So yeah, there's, so they're saying that because we're going to replace the dogs, you have to get dogs that are trained for something else. So you are going to retire the dogs. You're not yeah. going to need pot dogs anymore. Yeah. Jeff so, Sessions will take all the pot dogs. So they're making it seem like they're going to have to like, you know, like, euthanize these dogs because they can no longer their their purpose is no longer needed how about just let them be like the dogs how about let them just like be adopted and be like chill ass happy dogs that they're supposed to be and what kind of like stupid training do you have to give these dogs so that they're like not trainable to be anything else well they usually train them when they're young so i guess you can't retrain them when they're older can't teach old dog new tricks i guess it really works uh, but i think jeff sessions agreed to adopt all the pot sniffing dogs uh, that's the rumor that I'm starting, and I'm going to stick with it. So, okay, boys, it's peanut butter time now. 
<laughs> Jeff Sessions peanut butter get down. There's a lot of peanut butter down here in Alabama. Got a lot peanut of peanut farms here. Peanut butter and weed. Come on, dogs. <laughs> yeah. This uh, that's is, awesome. So, yeah. So, this dude here, um, the guy, I'm, I'm trying to find the, the freaking exact quote, but. Yeah, the one guy said that most of these dogs are gonna have to be euthanized. Ah, bullshit. If if they had this, if they actually were to legalize, can you imagine if you adopted one from a shelter and like smoking weed and it's like, <laughs> and rather like calling you out, it's like, shut up, man, I'm smoking some weed. It's legal here. Yeah, it costs between uh, it takes between eight and sixteen weeks and costs between three and five thousand dollars to train the dogs. Apparently. But, you know, there's some state where I'm sure it's still going to be illegal. So you can move it. You know, you can bring the dogs over to that state and, you know, let them go to town. Yeah. The canines are not trained to be social, so their work won't be affected. Um, yeah. You know, that that's like when you're in the airport and they have the dogs going down now and they actually go through and like, come on, come on. And they, they smell for, I guess, drugs, bombs, whatever they're smelling for. Um, and they actually say, you know, cause people are like, Oh, they're such cute dogs. They're like, no, please don't touch them. Cause they're working. And yeah. it's like, those dogs are like in a zone. They're like in work mode. Like, and they, they actually know how to turn it on and off with, I guess the way the training is going and like, no, they're working right now. Like they don't fuck around. They've kind of like brainwashed the dogs to be dicks. Yeah. While they're working. Then when they're not working, it's like, all right, come on, come on, dog, let's have some Coke and some weed and, Chill I don't out, think the know. dogs ever have fun. Like they're never like social and petted. They're just always like they they keep them so locked down to being, you know, doing their they, job. Well, I think they do, but I think they train them to know when they're working, when they're not. When they're not, they just screw around and play around with the dogs and stuff. Because otherwise, yeah. the dogs get all pissed off and mopey and depressed, and it's really not good. <clears throat> Maybe they actually have to give these dogs weed, so they have to like super chill out. How? If you if you never have weed, how do you know how to find it? That's all I'm saying. Right. Like if you have a cocaine sniffing dog, don't you want that dog addicted to so much coke <laughs> that he's gonna find out where he's gonna get his next fix? Like that's the dog you want. But would you really want a a, a coked up <laughs> German Shepherd anywhere near you? I know yes. I wouldn't. Of course, you feel so much safer that way. <laughs> now, if it was like a Pomeranian, that would be kind of funny, actually. <laughs> That'd be kind of funny. Get some like really small dogs all coked up. Like just like a Bichon Frise. Your hearts would explode, man. Those they little dogs would. just like they're, 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 they're. I was watching the uh, dog show like um I think it was two weekends ago. They had some it wasn't the um the big one in New York. It was uh I think the Westminster? LA one. It wasn't Westminster, it was like an LA dog show or something like that. I think. It's like the freaking World Cup of dog shows. <laughs> and it was like it was a pretty cool like the way they changed it now to make it like friendly for people to watch. I'm like, yeah, I could see watching this now. It's kind of sitting there with my mom. She loves dogs. She's like watching it. I'm like, mom, you got to get a dog. She's like, no, no, I don't want a dog. Yeah. You want a dog. No, I'm going to get a dog. Say it's mine. The key is take a few edibles and then watch the dog show. And then it gets way better. Oh, hell yeah. Could you imagine? Or like have like a drinking game where like whenever they mention like a certain word, you got to drink like that would make the dog show freaking hysterical. That would be, that, that would be a good, uh, Good afternoon. I know I watched it last year for like maybe an hour. I was at my uh, my in-laws house and 
I was pissed because like the class, like I wanted to see like the working class, which are like all the cool dogs that I like, like the shepherds and everything. They didn't even show that. Like they show like the little shitty dogs, like the freaking toy class. Like those dogs are barely dogs. Like this one had, it was well organized. They had all like the main classes and then they had the mixed. Well, they have them. It's just like when they show it on TV, they just kind of edit that part out. You know, they're like, let's just show the little shitty dogs that people love. Huh. I'm like, this I want to see the, they were showing the final only. I want to see like the Australian shepherds, the German shepherds, like the Bernie's mountain dog. Like I want to see those dogs, like real dogs, not these freaking little nonsense, little puffball things that are walking around. Well, this one that they showed was the end. So what they were doing was going through each group mm-hmm. and taking the, the best, the highest. Yeah. Like the best of each one. You just see the end part, which still took a long time because they showed all the categories. But if you watch all the, the ones where they're competing to get to that part, then I imagine the dog show lasts like two days or something like that. It's crazy. Oh, it's hours and hours. Yeah. But that was, I think the they televised like three hours of it. And that was just the finals where they were showing each category. It was it the one too? Like, they, like I, I, again, I like the big weird dogs. Like they had the, um, the Tibetan Mastiff. And they, I think they were saying like those things can cost like $300,000. Because they're super rare and they're like gigantic and they're really cool. You're really gonna like make twenty million of them in China with the DNA that they some got. fake ones. Fake ones. <laughs> some like big mutant dog. <laughs> that that was a fake powder purse. It's it's got it's on the way. <laughs> it's the fake Bijan, the fake little uh, Pomeranian in the fake purse. Yeah. Buy it all right here on AliExpress. <laughs> Good old AliExpress. Uh, Do we have an affiliate code to send our users or our listeners to? Uh, for AliExpress, yeah, we got it. We, we need an AliExpress listener code. <laughs> I'm sure we can get one. They'll be like, oh, sure, we give you one. Yeah. <laughs> All right. You can so have our buddy up, Jeff Sessions. Yeah, that's right. So next up, we got how anti marijuana Jeff Sessions became the best thing to happen to pot legalization. Uh huh. So, um, Instead of like actually leading the way to fight pot legalization, he actually galvanized policymakers to do the opposite. So they're saying he hated marijuana so much, um, and he made it plain from multiple cover quotes um, that it pissed everybody off so much that people were just like, "No, now we're going to rally and band together and and go against what he's saying and try to legalize." I love that. Good people don't smoke marijuana. Yeah, he's making, he's pulling shit out of his ass, talking, basically talking out of his ass. Like, how do you say good people don't smoke marijuana? How do you know? So the medical, the people that get medical, the people that do it just recreational, they're they're all dickheads. They're all scumbags. I mean, really, come on, guy. He just has no idea. It's like saying that everybody that abuses opioids is a piece of shit. You know what? No, opioids are bad, and everybody from every walk of life gets addicted to them. They're bad. They're bad things to have out there. So why don't you say the same thing about opioids, right? Yeah, he thinks they're the same thing. Like he's just a delusional old dummy. There was a quote from him that says, "Like he's been so anti-pot for like all throughout his career." So you know what? I guess you got to respect his consistency, if nothing else, if only that. But he said, like he um, he once joked that he thought the Ku Klux Klan was okay until he found out they smoked pot. <laughs> that's yeah, actually it's all right a, to talk, it's all right a to cool. talk about racism, but you know, oh, they smoke pot now. Yeah. Oh, I guess they're bad now. Yeah. Right. So 
one interesting thing, and I remember hearing this in the news and they did put in this article, but um, I've, I've never been uh, a Chuck Schumer fan. I think he, he serves a purpose because he does push <laughs> a lot of issues, but I think he's just kind of a dick about doing things. He actually came out and he, he was not big originally on rolling back criminal laws like those on marijuana. They actually announced he was going to uh, introduce legislation to remove marijuana from the list of controlled substances um, and essentially leave it up to the states on how to handle it. And that I was is like, huge. I was like, you know, so as much as I might not like them, you know, it doesn't matter what side of the aisle you're from. You look at people that are actually trying to make, you know, a difference and, and change on what they originally say or pivot and, and actually look at what what's right and what people, you know, what's good and what's bad and what people want and, and what's, you know, historically has been just a, a blind way of looking at things. And I think it's actually big for somebody to come out and say, all right, I'm changing the way I look on, on this, you know? Well, that was gigantic. Him saying that that was the same week that, that John Boehner, you know, came out, you know, the former, uh, house speaker, Republican house speaker from Ohio, who was, uh, you know, he, I mean, he got into like a medical marijuana company, but he was like, yeah, I've changed my opinion, you know, now granted there is, they're definitely doing this because they're making money off of it. You know, that that's completely, that's, that's completely clear. Like let's not fool ourselves. They didn't. Companies are making a shit ton of money off of legalized marijuana. They're jumping on the bandwagon saying, all right, you can lobby to me now too. Dude, there is going to be billionaires made in the next 10 years with legal marijuana. And if you don't think it's it's happening, you think that the, the government's going to stop it. You are delusional. You are completely out of your mind. You do not know the way people evolve and move on. And you know what? Again, these guys, they really don't care about us being able to smoke weed. They don't really care about black people getting, and so many people are painting it as, Oh, well, we want to get things, you know, we want to help you know, get things, you know, there's been disproportionate, you know, arrests of the the blacks and browns. Do you really think they give a shit about that? All they care about is they're going to make more money off of it. But you know what? It is going to benefit everybody down the road. You know, the people who are saying right now, it's politics too. It's politics. That's what they're here for. They're all full of shit. If you think a politician is telling you the truth and you, you want to put a sticker on your car because of them, fine, go do it. But you're just lying to yourself. Just remember that. Just picture it now. Like just picture in your mind, close your eyes, picture in your mind. If they were to successfully pass legislation to make marijuana illegal everywhere again, like totally illegal. How are you going to stop that? That's basically implementing prohibition, which we saw by history did not work. It's the same thing happened with making um, abortions illegal. Same thing happened with prohibition. And the same thing would happen with marijuana is if it's, it's legal and then you make it illegal, you're going to have like just unregulated shit going on. It's, you're not going to stop it. So it's, why would people, you want to try? You're going to get the people that you hate the most. You're going to make them rich. That's right. what you're going to do. And you're going to allow the criminal element to have a place back in society again, because they're going to be there, you know? Yeah. Yep. It's so crazy too. You just, I just like, you know, again, I, I'm a history buff and, you know, I love reading about, you know, things like prohibition and I, I, you know, I read a lot about like, you know, Bitcoin and cryptocurrency and the history of money. And you just realize like, 
people in general, you know, just the people who are in power, they make the same mistakes over and over and over again, because human nature is, it's, it's, it's cyclical and it's, it's very comical. You know, we always think we're so much smarter than the people of 200 years ago or a thousand years ago, but you know, we always keep making the same mistakes over and over again. Well, it's kind of like, so there's one school, well, there's a school of thought that if you, if you move technology and progression too fast, you're going to throw off a lot of people because people can't handle that much change at one time. So that's one side of it. The other side of it is the people that control this, the power center want to keep the status quo because they're the ones making money when this, when the status, when everything stays the same, it's like the pharmaceutical company saying, I don't want a better drug because I'm making a shit ton of money on the drug that I have right now. And I have to do anything. We don't want people to be cured. We want to keep them sick and keep having them prescribed to this particular drug or, you know, and there's a side effect of that drug all the time. So another drug has to be incorporated into your cocktail and maybe two other, you know, ones that's how they make money. You know, that's, that's, and the stock market and our economy, it's all based on, on all that continuing which is actually really terrifying, which you, which again, going back into my, you know, crazy tinfoil hat thing, you know, my Bitcoin and why, why I believe in it is that you look at all the, again, the history of money and the history of, you know, what has value. And you look at all these companies and what they're doing and how they make money and how it, it, it really is at our detriment. And how can that continue? Like, how can we keep getting screwed over by these these big companies and keep accepting it the way it is. It just it it can't continue. We're, the internet has provided us a platform where we can learn and we can we can get information that we never had before. And once we start to see that and things have been opened up, that's how Bitcoin was created. It came out as a product of the financial crisis in two thousand eight. Um, like everything's going solar. Solar is not a new technology. Solar was just a repressed technology because. Nobody wanted to do anything about it because the people in power and the people who controlled all the companies were the like oil companies and the yeah. governments. They wanted to kind of suppress it and make it not exactly. viable. Mm-hmm. We could have been they, that school of thought and that control of power kept us probably like 50 years behind technology that we have today that we should have had 50 years ago. As someone who loves to find the, the follow the money aspect of things, Go see the documentary Who Killed the Electric Car. Yeah. If you just, if you want to get mad, like that, that movie, like I was so mad by the end of that movie. Um, but I love too that they created a, a sequel to it called The Revenge of the Electric Car about like Elon Musk and Tesla and how they came about to, you know, to, to fight, to buck the trend and, and to create this unbelievably cool car that people wanted and to, to change the whole industry again. But some people say like it would have ruined the industry and look what's happened. The industry is going to change. Like all these car companies, these gas car companies are announcing they're, they're going to make electric cars now. Yeah. Because that's what people are going to buy. You know? So you didn't kill any companies. It's like you, they just, you forced them to have to do something rather than sit there and just make money for doing it. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's good. I mean, well, so that one drug maker that I'm talking about, uh, that I was thinking about. So spark therapeutics, they were the ones that came out and there's a rare form of blindness that they came out with a cure for. And they say it costs $850,000 for one-time treatment uh, per eye. And it's for the treat of an inherited rare retinal disease that can lead to blindness. 
So I know that was controversial when they came out with the price tag, but so could Stevie could Stevie Wonder be cured of blindness? It depends on why his blindness was. If his blindness was part of this, I guess theoretically, or I don't know if they're saying this can treat it before you become blind. So I, I don't even know. But uh, it's interesting to see like somebody's coming out with a cure. Yeah, it costs a shit ton of money, but if you look at how much that treatment would have been over like a ton of years. And only, you know, and the, the good part of that is the price is going to come down. So it's like I'd rather have a cure than a treat than a treatment because the treatment, you know, I don't know. Okay, I'm so Stevie, he was born premature, um, in an oxygen-rich atmosphere in a hospital incubator, resulting in retina, retina retinopathy right. of the prematurity. A uh, condition in which the growth of the eyes is aborted and causes the retinas to detach. So he became blind. So can he have an operation to reattach his retinas? Or retina? They do retina. Um, My man can afford it. Right? That's for sure. Maybe transplants, I think, now, don't they? Wouldn't that be weird, though? Like, if you lived, like, 70... Like, how old is Stevie Wonder? He was born in... That would be pretty seven. Imagine, like, imagine like, going 67 years of life not being able to see, and then all of a sudden you can see. That would be pretty freaky. Yeah. I've seen shows where they're talking to people that are blind, and you're like, well, it's different if you were born blind or if you then if you had sight and went blind, because then somebody says red, you know the color red. If you never knew what that, you know, if you never had functioning eyes, then you never knew what that looked like. So you associate it differently. So all the associations are different in your head. Crazy. He just got married too, in 2017. He's got nine children. Way to go! God damn! Like, I wonder what that must be like having sex with Stevie Wonder. Like, they gotta like, like Stevie's wow. coming in right here. There's a lot of a lot of soft, soulful touching right there. Well, then too, like, how can like he's like? I guess they're my kids. Like, I don't know. Like, he's, how can he? How does he know? He's like, Your Honor, I never had sex with that woman. Did you see her? Well, look at me. Obviously, I did not. Yeah. <laughs> Well, that's kind of the same thing with Bill Cosby, right? Oh, dude, that fucking guy. What an uh, asshole. <laughs> I, it's kind of funny that he came. Like, he was always like trying to be like this like moral authority oh, yeah. for like black comedians and stuff. Like, there's a, Eddie Murphy's got a great bit about it. Bill Burr goes off on him. <laughs> yeah, dude. Well, Eddie Murphy, like back in the 80s, he was like, You shouldn't say like the flim flarm. He's like, I don't say no flim flarm. He's like, You know what I mean? You can't say fuck. As a Richard Pryor, like, tell him to suck my dick. Yeah, have a coconut smile and tell him to suck my dick. How's it to have a coconut smile and suck my dick? Yeah. <laughs> Goddamn love. Uh... Fucking Bill Cosby. Uh, yeah. Dude, oh, yeah. That guy demons and like the whole thing with his son being murdered. Like, there's just, like, there's just so much fucked up shit in his life. That's you know, like shit, he wore those weird sweaters too that says like "Hello, friend," like which I guess was like a thing about his son. Like I know people that were just Bill like, Cosby's a fucked up dude, obviously. Now I know people that were like, "Oh, I thought Bill Cosby's such a nice man and he had such good humor." I was like, "Yeah, it was funny, but well, did you, you know? see that there was dude? There was an episode of the Cosby Show where he had like this like magical barbecue sauce that he would put on everything and it made these chicks like super horny. Dude, you have to look it up. Back then it was probably like funny. Now it's like 
that's kind of dark and kind of messed up. But he's doing everything in his like legal defense that is just like well, he's like playing stupid out. and playing like oh I can't see anything and I don't and know. Women, and, women are coming forward now saying they were like molested and all this like you know all the stuff going on in Hollywood that you hear people getting fired for and, and losing gigs over. And his defense is like, oh, the girls are lying and stuff. I'm like, holy shit, dude. Like, you're not taking ownership for anything, are you? Well, dude, he had a bit back in the 70s, one of his stand-up albums about Spanish Fly. Yeah. We got to get some Spanish Fly. Like, it's really, like, back then, again, funny. And a different time, you know, different standards. But you look at it now, you're like, dude, the writing was on the wall. That is messed up. Damn. Yeah, if you Google, if you Google Cosby show barbecue sauce, there's a video and like, it's so funny. The YouTube clip says Bill Cosby's special barbecue sauce, barbecue loots. Yeah. It's like, it was like this barbecue sauce that like made all these chicks horny. It's so funny. So I was texting somebody the other night and I was like, yeah, I had to get some sleep. I got some really good sleep. I Cosby myself. And they were like, so what the hell does that mean? I'm like, oh, I took an Apple PM. <laughs> I took an Apple PM, man. I slept like a motherfucker all night. I didn't move. You woke up like, and your, your bum hurt? <laughs> yeah, my hand was on my junk and I was like, I felt a little violated. It was weird. Uh, Cosby myself. God, it's so creepy in hindsight now. Uh, I made these jello pudding pops myself. Kids these days, they don't know about the jazz. About the jazz. <laughs> and the flim flarm. Hey, hey. I used to love that show. Oh, it was great. Why are you doing Fat Albert? That's a whole different thing. That was a that show now. Is, yeah. I used to love the little rascals, but then I guess it's really racist and I don't know the difference. I was like little. Yeah. Remember them riding on the the best was they were riding on that little um they made a was they they made their own fire engine and they were all sitting on it. They're going through like the down this big hill and like shit's flying off. It was awesome. Like they had or the or the cake where they baked a bunch of like toys in it and like people getting like a rat trap like snapped on their lip and stuff it's crazy it was good it was good humor it was a simple time but he bought them up so it's too racist and locked them away yeah thanks bill you're gonna be in the same cell with those things yep you guys that was quite a uh a little tangent we went on there yeah. Pretty beefy. I think it is time I think for. We're all glad Brian's off the wagon, aren't we? Let's go to Ski News. Ski News. So, this is an older story that we just somehow schemed, 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 seemed mm-hmm. to have ignored. I don't know we why seemed, we ignored we it. Ski seemed, so we schemed. Yeah, we skied it, but we seemed to ignore it, so we schemed it. Now, Alta is planning to add a tram and two lifts that have received federal approval. And they've got the go-ahead now for the master plan to go ahead and add these new lifts. And this is concerning to a lot of people. Um, 
the problem is like, you know, Alta is one of those special places and the more development they do to it, the more people get concerned. And it's very understandable. Um, this is again, this is from like back in April, but they were reporting that the U S forest service, uh, have, they have, um, approved a plan to allow them to add this, this, you know, this tram and these the two lifts would now also lead to more restaurants and replace machinery. And it would expand, you know, to some parts that are now, you know, again, requiring a hike. This is the same thing you're hearing. Like, you know, back in a couple of years ago, we talked about Jackson hole, the, uh, the Teton lift that they added, you know, again, people were concerned because again, you had to like earn your turns. You had to hike up to it to get to it. And now it's going to be an easy tram ride away. Nice. Uh, and I, again, I'm a part of me is like, okay, cool. This is good. Now there's more nice, great skiable nice terrain nice. that's available. But the other part of me is like, well, f- you know, I, I, I love the ability that, you know, okay, here's the regular stuff that all the, the regular people can ski, but I want to be able to say, Oh, well I hiked this and I did this. And I, I, I earned my turns doing that. Earn the turn. I think you got to earn the turn to some degree. <sighs> Big fan of so even in Whistler, you get to the top of the glacier, you do like a 10 minute hike up. It's nothing. You take your stuff off. You're not even putting your time stuff down. It's a short hike. Yeah. I remember being on the trip with people and they're like, Oh yeah, I did a big hike up. I'm like, no, you really just walked up a little hill. Get to the top of Glacier, like you were almost all the way there. The what the hike we did the last time at Whistler was way more intense. That was that was the, like um, forty five minutes. That hike oh, up this, the symphony, the flute, was it flute, flute or symphony? Flute, right? Yeah, that was like you know that's a decent hike, you know. But the the one up to the glacier was it was really not a hike. But people were like, oh, that was the biggest hike I ever did. I'm like, I'm glad you feel something. Just the fact that you did it. I think it's good to have a little hike up, at least to, to get people to, to do something. You feel like you earned it at least. Yeah. So, you know, now that we're moving that, I mean, they're obviously dude, Alta is such a magical spot. There's other places you can hike to. Yeah. Um, I, again, you it's, it's easy to take either side of the story and it's good because if you have the hike ups and you have them visible, the thing is the presentation of a hike up. When you get to the top of the 9900 and people are still hiking up, you want to be one of those people. So you're like, I don't know what to do, but let's let's hike up and we'll figure it out. And then you start learning more about like, hey, where where else can we hike up? The 9900 is, is actually canyons. Yeah. Well, Park then, City. And I'm still regretting not going up that hike. <sighs> and I was, it was my fault. It was my fault. I had the freaking shitty 88 underneath, underfoot skis because I was too stupid to bring my own skis with me. Or to buy those goddamn black crows that I wanted in the shop that day, <laughs> which I did buy a week later from France. I'm saying, there, come on, let's go hike up. No, no, I'm like, fuck, I'm not going to hike up by myself. I'm like, all right, I'll be with you guys. It was still fun. It was a great time. No and regrets, people. Always. The other crew we were with was not hiking. But you know what? That run was still one of the coolest runs I've ever been on in my entire life. Like that, that run like when they just the opened the lift with a foot of powder was so much fun. We had well more than a foot. We were waist deep. Oh, God damn. That was, and you know what was the best about that is it was raining the day before and we were like, fuck this stupid trip. Fuck yeah. Park City. Why the hell did we leave Snowbird? 
But you know what? That next day, I mean, bluebird day with over a foot of snow on the ground. It just, it made it all worth it. It was so perfect. Just that one run would have like made the entire trip. Yeah. But the best was we're on that 9900 lift. We get on, I start talking to that girl. She got separated from her, her group. She's with a big group. And she's telling us like, oh no, it was all snow here yesterday. I was like, oh shit. So we were all Jones by the time we got to the top of that. It was pretty fun. And it was awesome because it had just opened and they had all that snow there. And then you see all those crazy signs. It's like double black only experts only. You're like, Ooh, this is going to be fun. We had some nervous people in our group. That's for sure. Yes. Well, you know, that's, uh, that's how we get better. That's how we learn. And it was best too. Like we had that amazing couple runs and then barbecue. Cause it had the Cosby barbecue sauce all day. So we were all feeling a little flim flarmy. But it was dude. So, you know. Yeah. Not so flim flarmy. Not so flim flarmy. But somebody did get fake uh mustache and eyebrows that uh pasted on them and pictures posted on the internet. Amateur goddamn hour. <laughs> but Alta is gonna have new lifts, and if you don't like it, you're out of luck. Sorry, buddy. Yeah. All right, next up we got May is money on Mount Hood. So uh, if anybody hasn't been spring skiing on the Oregon Glacier, Mount Hood, uh, it is the scene. So I'm going to start with this. Brian, you could jump right in. But uh, I tell you what, they, they, this article is pretty good because they have like a breakdown. Powder does a great job of, you know, where to stay, where to eat and how to do things. So they start with the ski here. So the same Timberline on Palmer Glacier, they're saying, before the summer camp, because they have summer camps on the glacier, they offer a $140 spring pass good till May 28th. So they said it's up from 119 bucks. So if that's any indication of where ticket prices are going to go, I'm sure they're only going to go up. Uh, but they're saying it's a great time to be there, and uh, you probably it probably pays for itself in two days. Um, then there's the park. So the park and half-pipe skiing are a long tradition, and they're saying... Um, there's a free ski event for, it's kind of like a, an unwritten free ski and uh, photography event. Um, and it's just, uh, you know, great terrain and, and you can just like screw around in there. Uh, then there's the back country. So they're saying there's a lot of uphill traffic uh, for back country skiing uh, off the Palmer quad lift. And uh, they're saying uh, for, they interviewed an East coaster and they're saying, um, it is beautiful corn skiing in May, and they're saying you crack a cold one during the sunset at Illumination Rock. It's a must-do, and uh, they're saying just go touring the summit of Mount Hood. Uh, and then they go into stay here, so where to stay. So they're saying Timberline parking lot. They're saying the clientele is the van lifer. So they're saying as long as you claim an overnight zone, you're good to go. Uh, and that veterans advise if you're staying for a few weeks, maybe you're maybe you move your car once, once in a while, just in case. Uh, so you don't, that'd be so awesome to be able to stay somewhere for like multiple weeks in your van. That'd be great. Uh, then they're saying the old Timberline road. So they're saying this is for the underage new schooler. So they're saying the kids call it the airstrip and it's a, a campground commonly known for firework explosions, smell of stale beers and, um, I'm sure they have the um, the uh, the vortex uh, bottles bottles there of PBR. Um, and they have uh, <laughs> vortex fireball. Vortex fireball. 
Uh, and then there's a super secret, secret campground off of Highway 26. And they're saying you sit around, campfire, play guitars. And they're saying they're going to keep the – I love it because powder is still protecting, keeping it real. They're saying if you could find it, you can get there because they're keeping it, uh, the coordinates off the Internet. They're saying uh, there's a river that runs through the campsites. And while the occasional tent village pops out, um, it tends to stay quiet and avoid all the crowds. That is so freaking awesome. So I, I like would, the fact that they're maintaining the integrity of the place. They don't want to mess it up. I thought they were going to call it out. And I was like, really, Powder, going to call it out where the super secret campground is? That that's, right. some of the, that's some of the joy in life is finding the super secret stuff that, like, you don't even want to get, like, exclusivity. You just want to, like, just run into it and just come across it or talk to a local or find out about it from somebody that's been there like you kind of want to that's kind of how life should be doesn't reading about this make you just hate the fact that you have to commute to a job tomorrow morning yes because they tell you you have to be there at a certain time and you have to wear a certain dress code and you have to log in at a certain time you have to use this computer and you have to do like it's bullshit this makes me want to go to work tomorrow and just tell everyone to just go fuck themselves like at the top of my lungs with a megaphone so I can get fired and then just go live the van life out at Mount Hood this oh, spring. Got a few weeks. A few weeks, man. Get That's a, right. Got an old VW van and just go out there. Just hold all that Bitcoin and just hang out in the freaking uh, in the campgrounds at Mount Hood. Open up that goddamn swinging door and you see a cloud of smoke come out. We're here. It's legal in Oregon, so it's all good. We're here, man. Weed and, and skiing. What else do you need? And then they're saying grub here. So they're saying don't forget your grill or camp stove. Uh, so they're saying it's pretty important because you're going to do parking lot lunches and breakfast. Um, so they're saying there's a government camp general, uh, which um, they're, showing, they're, they're saying it's also pretty cheap. Um, you can find the largest uh, bag of tortillas and can of peanut butter at the Gubby General. Um, so... Uh, there's also hot tater tots and corn dogs there. So basically you're out skiing, you're going to burn a bunch of calories, hiking, skiing, um, embrace the, uh, the local crap processed food that they have there. Cause it's fun. It's a way of life. Um, I wonder if there's any like decent hunting out there. I don't know. There's probably gotta be something. I don't, know I, I don't think it's hunting season anywhere nearby there. I think it's usually in the fall. Yeah. Cause that would be so awesome if you could have like, if you say you had your, you're doing the van life thing, right? You had your van, you had your, your grill and like, maybe you had like a giant, like some, somehow you have like a freezer full of meat of an animal you killed last, like in October, November, like you, you had elk, with some smoke brisket, right? Like you had elk meat, just like a freezer full of elk meat in your van. Dude, why wouldn't you put the, the smoker on top of the van? And smoke it while you're driving. Have a whole side of beef in there smoking. I'm saying. You know, that would be kind of cool if somehow you could. I, there was some sort of show that used to do that. You used to like put like food in their, on their engine block and cook it as they were driving. Yeah, if the you whole could, smoker, put it right on top of the roof. Just strap it down. Let it smoke. Or if you, well, if you ran on biodiesel, couldn't you just like, uh, and you had like French fry grease? Like, could you just have that exhaust going into your smoker and like you're making like, using like French fry grease smoke to like cook your, your meat? Imagine you get meat and you have cooked French fries at the end of the trip. So you could even go like full paleo and have, or keto and have your meat, but it'll taste like French fries, but you're actually eating meat. 
Yeah, I want french fries and barbecue tomorrow. Oh my God. How good would that be right now? I think I'm going to do it. I'm going out. I think I'm going to go to a barbecue place. Do it. Uh, anyway, so second they say, this is, this is a nice one, located in government camp, there is the taco shop. So it's a hole-in-the-wall Mexican spot known for Taco Tuesdays. And then number three, they're saying Solaro Brewery. So they're saying located in Parkdale between Mount Hood and Hood River. Uh, beautiful scenic view while you sip your beers after skiing. So a lot of good options. And I think Oregon has uh, a lot of breweries. So I'm sure you can find a lot of them around. They're allegedly the where the craft brewery scene started, Oregon. And legal cannabis. Oh, boom. So Mount, so Mount Hood, hit it up. And it allegedly closes August 31st, which we'll talk about later. Hmm. But before that, now we're getting into, we're keeping it real. We're keeping it woke. We're keeping it hashtag me too. Despite equal prize monies, male skiers earn significantly more than women, claims Lindsey Vaughn. On average, women earn less than men in nearly every single occupation out there. A lot of that has to do, you know, we're being controversial here, but a lot of it has to do with women also not taking on the same sort of careers that men do. Men tend to take on careers that are a little more aggressive, a little more risk uh, averse. And women also tend to usually have children and to focus on families and not want to dedicate as much time to their career. So that whole women not earning as much is, there should be a big asterisk next to it. Regardless, Lindsay says getting paid to ski is already very, very difficult. Obviously we don't, we can't get paid to do a ski podcast. I can't imagine what it's like to be a middle of the road skier, even though we're a very high end, ski podcast right and she says if you are not in the top five or ten in the world you are struggling to not have to get a second job while the prize money for races is the same men in her field make significantly more than women and she says all of our contracts are confidential but i roughly know how much the men make and how much the women make it's a pretty severe gap for Vaughn, who has won three Olympic medals and four World Cup overall titles, the big money is made from lucrative endorsements. She has signed on with Red Bull, Rolex, GoPro, and Under Armour, among others, and is worth an estimated $3 million. The successful athlete says her hope is to get women in ski racing more publicity and give them the push they need to make more money. I get it, Lindsay. I mean... Skiing is a uh, a very interesting field, and it's it's crazy too. You think about you know, you watch the um, the World Cup events, and you see you know men and women, and you're coming in you know twentieth, twenty fifth place. I mean, you're one of the top twenty five skiers in the world, and you just wonder like how are these people even getting by? And you know, it's unfortunate, but part of it too is skiing is not a cheap sport to begin with. And a lot of these folks, you know, let's be honest, you have to come from money to, to even get to a place where you're a, uh, you have the, the, well, how do you backing. Learn? You have to have means. You have to have the beans to even get into to get that good at that level. I mean, how many? I'm saying, like, climb, climb your fucking river. 
You're not the person that's a you know, mother flipping burgers in McDonald's or working at Chipotle. You know, it's a different, different way of looking at things. And I understand there's a difference in when you talk at that level as a professional athlete between men and women, but I'm talking about like normal people versus like celebrity. Dude, you're a professional people. skier. Like it's, that's it's fucking awesome. Yeah. You know what? You can go to school and you can become a, a computer programmer. You can become, you know, an accountant. You can become a lawyer. Like to, the fact that you want to make your living as a skier, like, yeah, you have to be one of the best. You know, that's yeah. just, that's just the way it is. If you want to be a professional football player, you got to be one of the hundred, 200, 300 best players in the world. And you have to not get injured. Screw you, screw up. Like, there's a lot of other pitfalls that could fall on, even if you're the best in the world. So, getting up there is is a whole different. You're in a different echelon, you know. Yeah, it's. Yeah, I I want to agree with her, but it's like you're trying to just like you're. Are you gonna? Who are you talking to in this interview? Are you talking to people who? Yeah, like you said, single mothers trying to hustle, trying to get by so their kids even have food on the table. Like, I, oh, I want to be a professional skier. It's like, you do. That's adorable. You know, like, well, be one of the five or 10 best. Otherwise, you're not going to get paid. I'm sorry. It's also about marketability, right? So, you know, if, if you know, you're a well-paid athlete, you know, you work your own negotiations out. You know, it's, it's, it's about who you surround yourself with and, and how you get your endorsements. I mean, we've seen people at the top of their game get all their endorsements dropped. Tiger Woods, everything dropped, right? One incident of infidelity, boom, cost him his whole career. As they said in Chabelle shows, tough break, N-word. There's always FUBU. <laughs> That's right. But now he's coming back, and now he's getting endorsements back. So it's kind of, it's, it, I'm sure it's a yin and yang for everybody. I mean, she was, uh, she had a great career. The other thing is, how old is she now? 33? She's 33. She's also, she's one of the best skiers in the world. Top in the women's top two or three, but she's also gorgeous. And you know what? A lot of times, you know, we don't want to, we don't want to focus on that in, in our current, you know, political correctness climate, but you know what? That definitely helps. Yeah, it really does. Look at us. Hey man, I want to be a professional podcaster. I don't want to go to work every day. Like I fucking have to, I don't want to work three jobs and also podcast. I love to be making 250 grand just podcasting, but you know what? We're not. Does that mean we're going to stop? No, we're going to keep fucking doing it until we get to that point. That's what we like to do. I'd love to fucking hang out in Mount Hood, smoking weed and fucking cooking my elk in my van. But you know what? That's not the way shit's working right now. So I'm fucking hustling and scraping and working three jobs so I can get to that point. Right. Dude, we got to get the elk, put it on top of the, right on top of the thing and then smoke it when we get there. And then we can just mount the hood on the front of the car. Shit, yeah, man. Let people know what's up. Dude, elk is so good. Delicious. I remember barbecue elk though. What's that? I want to barbecue everything, man. I just want to barbecue the world. Barbecue the world, (laughs) but not the quaalude one. Not the Bill Cosby quaalude barbecue, just like regular barbecue. Flim flarm. Well, think about it. Imagine you're like smoking something. Like, see, you get up. You're up at eight o'clock in the morning. You get your smoker ready. Get your meat out there. You just leave it, and you go out skiing all day. And you come back, and like eight or nine hours later, your meat is just like tender and delicious and perfect. And then you just chill out. You have your 
acoustic guitar and you're hanging out by the fire and you're having your, your, your smoked elk and like life is perfect. You're looking at the mountains. You're just reminiscing on the day, like the simple, beautiful, wonderful things in life. I want to get a botanist to see if we can like cross hybridize, like, like a marijuana plant with like hickory and then use the hickory marijuana wood to like smoke everything. That'd be great. Hickorous. Hikawana. Hikawana. Well, imagine, yeah, it's just like, it, just take your elk and just like stuff it in there. You know, oh, take your weed and stuff the weed in there. Yeah. I'd make weed. that party. That's cilantro. Thanksgiving chicken, Thanksgiving turkey, put the weed right in there. Is this cilantro? Yeah. Yeah, it's cilantro. Enjoy. Yeah. Everybody enjoy. You're going to be <laughs> sleeping for many reasons after this. Everyone meal. is barbecued. <laughs> How great would that be? Dude, you get the tryptophan and weed in there. You'd be like out. You tripping the fan. Tripping the fan. Everybody'd be happy. Over the fan. You know how how there's like Thanksgiving. Everybody has like a little tension in the air. You know, some families they got a little fisticuffs going. You pack that turkey with weed. Yeah, no problems at all. That would be great to just dose your family with like some like jacked up weed stuffing. There you go. You know, stuff the bird weed, make the gravy out of it. But like, yeah, there's more <laughs> of the gravy. Everybody, serve it up. <laughs> I didn't know you guys get like to get wet. <laughs> That's PCP. PCP. Angel Everyone. dust. That's Sherman Hemsley. Sherman Hemsley, your family. Ah, <laughs> uh, it's fucked up, man. Uh. Damn. All right, Lindsay. So I understand you also a lot younger than I am, and uh, not sexier. Not sexier. Not richer. More. A lot more options open to you. Um, so, all right, maybe in the ski industry, it's a uh, it's a thing. So there are twelve ski areas that are still open in North America this week, which is we're recording this on Wednesday, May the ninth, and they are there's nine in the U.S., three in Canada, the nine in the U.S. Mount Hood, they are planning to be open until May twelfth. This weekend, um, Snowbird, May 13th, possible weekends after Squaw Valley, May 28th. So Memorial Day weekend, you can squat up Mammoth, May 28th, Memorial Day weekend, Donner Ski Ranch, May 27th, Mount Bachelor, May 27th, A Basin in Colorado, who had a foot of snow last week. They're saying mid-June. Killington, Vermont, June 3rd. Damn. Boom. Representing New England. Timberline Lodge in Oregon, August 31st. Damn. We just talked about Timberline before. Closed for like a day and then reopened for the early season. They just got to, they just got to throw a coat of paint on the lodge and, you know, clean the toilets a bit and boom, they're open again. It's beautiful. And then we got three in Canada, Mount Saint-Sauveur in Quebec, May 13th, Sunshine Valley or Sunshine Village in Alberta, May 21st, and Whistler, also May 21st. So Nick was there this weekend, right? Our boy Nick. Shout out to Nick. He, uh, he was just there this weekend. He, um, he, he did it up right. He has a 
a beautiful new vehicle that he just picked up, which is completely inappropriate for driving around during ski season. But uh, since he was going up for some spring skiing, he brought it up and he sent plenty of pictures and made me very, 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 very jealous. And he had waffles and he had beautiful weather. So uh, beautiful. Gotta love. And it's so funny. Send me a picture. I'm like, the bacon is actually cooked. It's yeah, that's Canada. right. Canada. Cooked the bacon the last time we were there. I don't know, Canada. Like, you're good for a lot of things, but you got to figure out how to cook bacon properly. Like, this, like, medium rare bacon. Again, I like pretty much any real meat. I love medium rare. But bacon? Come on, bro. That's so got to be well done. Yeah, I think they were thinking maybe it's Canadian bacon because to them, that's bacon. And it's like the Canadian bacon, what we call. Like, no, this is real bacon. Like, you got to cook the shit out of it. Have you ever seen it together? Like, when the the Canadian bacon, like the quote-unquote Canadian bacon, which is actually like back bacon, and what we know as bacon is connected? Have you ever had it that way? Never had that way. It looks looks like a dick and balls from, like, the side. (laughs) Like, the Canadian bacon is the balls, and, like, the real bacon is, like, the dick. And that's how it looks. It's a nice, nice description. I'm just trying to. I'm just trying to keep it real for our our listeners. They know what's up. I, I had it. I had it in England. Crazy enough, because when you get a proper English breakfast, dick that's how they. That's how they serve you the dick and balls next to the baked beans. The queen mum likes, likes the the dick and balls. <laughs> keep it attached. <laughs> a good rogering for the uh, the queen mum. <laughs> I like a good rogering for breakfast in the morning. The old in and out, in and out. But yeah, it's got like, so that you have like the Canadian bacon is like underneath and then the real bacon kind of goes across it. Yeah, so it's all that. like, so it's kind of like, a, you know, like a dick and balls kind of look to it. I don't know how else to describe it. Wow. I am feeling this rhubarb liqueur. I got to tell you, Ooh. it is really good. So we got one more story in the ski news. Again, it's mid-May, but we're still talking skiing because that's what we do here on this wonderful podcast that doesn't make 250 grand a year. So Lindsay Vaughn, want to help us out, please? This is big news. So our friends over at Magic Mountain up in Vermont, they have announced a press release just today. Breaking news, huge, tremendous news, bigly news. They have the folks at magic will be purchasing and installing Stratton's current snowball Palma fixed grip quad chairlift as a new base to summit lift at magic for the 2018, 2019 season. It will replace magic's current black chair, which has been operating as a uh, double passenger capacity lift. So you're going from a double to a quad, which is big. The new lift at Magic will follow the similar lift line up the Black Line Trail to the summit with a slightly higher terminal station in order to access all the trails at Magic. Hmm. So the original Palma Quad Lift was built in 86, installed in Stratton's Snowball area, comes with 148 chairs, a 2,000 skier per hour capacity, and has an excellent performance and maintenance record at Stratton. Thank God. 
Uh, it will service approximately 1,500 vertical feet with the lift line stretching about 5,000 feet long. The lift will add significant uphill capacity in combination with Magic's current red chair, double summit lift, and another new installation to be completed this off-season of a base-to-mid-mountain Borvig double-passenger lift, the green chair. The current black chair, which the Palma Quad will replace, only had 113 chairs, was approved as a two-person carrier and therefore had a maximum capacity of just 620 riders per hour. So they're tripling the amount of people that can get up the mountain. Wow. That's big for Magic. They had a freaking kick-ass year this year. They had great snow. They had a bunch of fun events. I am... Like I'm, I'm just, I'm actually pinching myself right now because I didn't, I, I was, I said to myself, I have to get to magic this season out there, man. And I didn't goddamn get there. I just want to take my head and just bash it into my freaking stupid cement wall right now because of Dude, the man. things I did not do this ski season. Regret is dangerous. Don't regret, regret anything in life. Always, always be happy with your decision-making process. And I truly do regret not skiing at Magic this past season. You're covering the story right now, don't you? What's that? We're covering the story right now because it's making you no, no. not skiing at Magic. <laughs> I'm I'm just saying I am mad at myself, but I'm also looking forward to this new lift so that I can maybe go up there at faster rate with more people in the 2018-19 season. I just like I, I everything I, I read about Magic. I freaking love the place. It's, it's It was on the top list last year, and they got great snow this year. It would have been a perfect time to go. Just saying. It would have been. I and just. The guy, and the guy that on the ski house that we did in Mount Snow was talked about it. We're like, oh, yeah, we should go. He's like, oh, it's a great, great place, especially if they have real snow. We talked about it. We talked about it last episode, man. I, uh, I'm, I'm definitely having some freaking Schadenfreude regret, wanderlust, something from last season, the things I did not do. But you know, you, you you play the hand you're dealt, and that's all you can do is play the hand you're dealt. Well, you so move your mice, and that's what you you left with. Nobody. That's it. That's it. You know, no regrets. You got to keep moving forward. So this is going to be good, good for Magic. That's for sure. So yeah. I'm I'm not going to say I'm promising to get up there because I may just you know do the same thing I did this year and not go. But uh, I, I really, really want to get up there because that and fucking Mad River. Like, I haven't skied either of those two. And those are two I'm just, I'm just clamoring to get to. And you know what? It's my own stupid-ass lazy fault for not doing it. Yes. And uh, you know what the thing is? As they say in the Warren Miller films, you're just going to be a year older next season. You know? Your knees are going to be a little bit shittier. You know? Your balls are going to hang a little bit lower. You know, how long do you want to wait till you actually do these things? Well, that's why you got to keep in shape. That's why you got to keep yourself going. Oh, our, uh, is that a nice little interlude into our main topic? It's time for our main topic. I believe it is. So it's nice, uh, nice way to segue into what we're going to talk about today, Brian. What are we doing? Yes, sir. So last week we kind of officially declared it as almost ski season. The fight, the fight, despite the fact, trying to put despite and fact together, 
to fight, despite the fact that there are still 13 resorts, 12 resorts actually, that are still open uh, to ski. We are. are say it's almost ski season. We have declared it almost ski season. The fans are not happy about that. You know what? I'm not happy about it either. Don't don't get mad at me. Don't kill the messenger. I'm not, I'm not coming down on you. I'm saying it's a sad day when we have to declare almost ski season, but then yeah. we got to get all happy and say, got to get all happy and say, almost ski season is when we we got to get ready for the next ski season. Now there is the the giant asterisk on on almost ski season is that. We are uh, we are stupid men, and we do occasionally play the lottery. So we're kind of we're, we're there is the possibility of us winning and going to South America a day later. Chile, like ready to go, man. Ready to go. I already have like I'm prepared. I'm gonna go to Bariloche. I'm ready to go. Freaking boys yeah. to Brazil it up down there. But Fuck you yeah. know, if that does not happen, um, and we get back to skiing back in you know it's November, always it's always, always a possibility. You know, you got to be in it to win it. Dollar in a dream. Head on a swivel. You got to keep your options open just in case. Exactly. So with that being said, it's, it's, it's very easy this time of year to, uh, to complain about not skiing and not think about skiing. And, you know, we're, we're like to stay in shape. We like to, you know, be prepared. We like to be, uh, you know, we like to take care of ourselves. And one thing that's very easy to do this year is to just focus on your, your beach body, you know, like you want to go and go work your biceps and do the glamour muscle workouts. But this is the time of year where you, the, the more work you put in now to get yourself ready for ski season, the better you will be when you first hit those slopes. So I think you're either you're either skiing or you're getting ready to ski. Whether you're getting ready mentally, physically, or emotionally, you're getting ready. You're getting your body, your mind, your whole everything ready to ski at, for at some point. That's how you live your life. Preach on, my brother. Same. Preach on. So this season, I know we've talked about in the past, like, oh, this is our typical workout. We do this, we just we do this, we do this. Now we're both Mario and I in different spots than we were at the beginning of last summer when we declared it almost ski season. A lot of goddamn changes. <laughs> a lot of goddamn changes. So lifestyle this style changing. Phew, tell me about it. So big lifestyle changes. Now you got extra humans in your life. I've got an extra human in my human. life. Yes. <laughs> and a different location. So I'm trying to embrace the beach lifestyle. Now where I live, you know, it's just starting to come up to Memorial Day weekend. And that's when the, the big, you know, beach ski season or <laughs> big beach season, you know, starts up. I, oh, I think about it, ski season. And ski I'm trying I'm trying to embrace the ski or the beach bum lifestyle because, you know, I, it's very similar to the ski bum lifestyle, but it involves sand instead of snow. And uh, both involve well, weed. So that's good. Both involve weed for sure. Very similar. So, um, I've actually incorporated two big changes into my training this summer than I did have last summer. Uh, one of them is, so I acquired, now I don't know if you guys have ever seen this before, but you know, if you go to like Dick's or sports authorities or any like sporting goods place and you go to like the, the boxing section, they have this thing and it's like a man torso and it's on a oh, stick. Yeah. 
and it looks like an angry dude. And it's called like the Bob, like boxing action thing. My sister-in-law is moving and she couldn't take her Bob with her to her new place. So I acquired it. Ah, so she would beat that thing up all the time. She used to do like kickboxing and stuff. She's a badass. So she used to uh, use that and now she doesn't anymore and know where to put it. So I have acquired it. And I will tell you, I did, I've done one workout on it so far. I just got it like a week or two ago. And I did uh, six three minute rounds with one minute break in between. What a goddamn awesome workout that is. And I just did boxing on it. So, I set up, I got an app for my phone and I just set it up. So it did like, uh, like interval training. So I did like three minutes of like on and a minute of break. And I did just, just a bunch of different like boxing combinations, you know, like you're doing like left, right, left cross, you know, left, right, left uppercut. And I'd switch stances. So it was right, left, right. And, uh, it just, I was drenched and exhausted by the end. And I will tell you like, my entire like outside of my arms, like outside of the biceps, forearms, shoulders, back were so sore the next three days. And my calves, because, you know, if you're staying on your tiptoes and kind of moving around like boxing, bobbing and weaving, you, you it kicks your it kicks your whole body's ass. It's wonderful. Nice. Yeah, it was great. So I've been looking up, you know, a bunch of different like, you know, different combinations and different boxing workouts. But, you know, I just kind of. For now, I'm still just kind of doing my thing and, and just trying to add additional rounds every week. To what are you uh, doing? You're, you're punching it, or you you slapping it, or scratching it? What do you? What do you? I actually have boxing gloves, and I just uh, yeah, just 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 different boxing workouts. Yeah, you yeah, can it's do not a heavy. It's not like a heavy bag though, so it's just like hitting for for practice for targeting. It yeah. is well, it is heavy, and is um, it? it's got a, a plastic like a big plastic base that the, the Bob actually locks into and the whole base is filled with water or you can use sand too. So it has got like a couple hundred pound base. Yeah. So you, I mean, you can, you can beat the shit out of it. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, I hit it like full strength and I mean, it moves around a little bit still because I bring the ruckus, um, ruckus (laughs) But it's uh, it's a great training tool. I mean, what a you know, I I still like going for runs. I still like doing my you know like lifting and weights and stuff. But to have something like that, it really does kind of mix everything up and give you a great, just kick ass full body workout. So I went to a, a new physical therapist today because I got shit going on, and uh, I was talking to the guy, and he actually was with the Air Force. He was training special forces. He's like, so we're talking about just other stuff that he does, just, you know, shooting the shit. And I said, you know, I like a lot of bike riding and stuff. He's like, yeah, I do bike riding. He's, he's done three Ironmans, a guy. He's in really good shape. Holy crap. Uh, but he said he's like the guys that in the special forces, they get bored on like doing cardio. So he's like, he's trying to get them to do more cardio. Uh, and this is when he was with the Air Force. He's not, he's not with them anymore. So he would try to get them to do high intensity, like, like stuff. So he'd be doing like rowing and stuff like that rather than put them on a treadmill because they would hate it. He's like, they would go batshit crazy. Like I'd rather run outside. I don't want to run on a stupid treadmill and look at a wall. You know what I mean? So it's kind of funny to hear him say, he's like, yes, yeah. so he's like trying to like trick him into like doing more than just like heavy weights. Cause they would just come in do heavy weights and get the hell out of there and do other stuff, you know? So it's pretty, pretty funny to hear like 
just the type of stuff that like keeps you engaged. And that seems like something that would be a little more engaging, you know, than, than just lifting weights, you know? Oh yeah. You need some sort of something else where you, uh, you just, just mix it up. Let's get your coordination. You know, that's, that's important. Definitely. Yeah. Important. So, um, yeah. So while I was uh, speaking of the PT, so one of the things he hooked me onto is I do foam roller. Like I do, like when I do workouts, I try to do a lot of stretching when I can and the foam rolling. Cause I got a lot of, I got some problems with, uh, you know, back vertebrae that are displaced, things like that. Uh, you'd think I'm an elephant man, but I'm, I try to keep it real, keep it, <laughs> keep it in check. But, uh, he turned me on to this, uh, he was showing me this Viper, um, vibrating, um, foam roller. And what it does is it, it's, it kind of shakes. There's like three speeds. And what you do is it, you put it on and it vibrates while you're rolling. And he said, he's been doing this for 17 years. He said for the last two years, he got this thing. Everybody that he's shown it to, like the other PTs, they all use it because it gets a deep soft tissue um, uh, overall, like, like that vibration with the rolling helps warm up and recover like faster than any other, any other roller. So, uh, what is it? Is it just like, what is inside there? Is it like battery powered or it's like a battery powered? I think it's rechargeable. Um, but it's kind of like the inner core is like the piece that I guess there's a, like some kind of gyro or some kind of weight that, that vibrates around and like, and shakes it. Um, and then the outer core is just like, you know, two inches of like foam roller. So it looks like a, just a regular foam roller, but inside there's like, almost looks like there's like a, a big speaker in it or something like that. Um, but things like 200 bucks. So it's not cheap. Uh, call it hyper ice, I guess is the company. And, uh, he showed me, I'm sure there's knockoffs or whatever, but he said they like even warranty it for like a few years. I think he said two years. Uh, rechargeable battery, two hours per usage. Um, you're saying one year warranty. He said the thing is like, you know, he uses it every day. He's like, it'll stay going for like two years. No problem. Uh, and that's using it, you know, as a, as a profession, he's not, that's not just personally using it, you know, at work. So, uh, that's awesome. Yeah. Sounds pretty cool. I'm thinking about. I'm thinking about jumping in 200 bucks for something that's going to help you sustain better quality of, uh, keeping in shape. Listen, that's one of those things like it does sound expensive, but you know, like uh, what is your health worth? You know, like that's a shitty foam roller is still like 80 bucks. Aren't that expensive? Really? Yeah. They're expensive. I'm like, what? I just have one like dinky, like travel one that I use. It's like like a car. I have like a fat foam roll. I think I paid like 40 bucks for it. Just Damn. foam. And you know, they get the higher end ones with like, you know, the little contours in it and stuff. And mm-hmm. you know, they, they go for a lot of money. The French tickler one. Tickler. Yes. Mr. French. <laughs> Fred told me the whole sleazy story. <laughs> yeah. I mean, again, like it's, again, it's expensive, but relatively what is your health worth? You know, like I, you don't want to spend money. You don't have to, I get it. Totally get it. But you know, there's certain things like you think about like the, fr- the frivolous things you spend money on, you know, I mean, you can get but, foam rollers from $10 all the way to 60, $70. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. They're all different, you know, 
But if that two hundred dollar one is, you know, it it makes you feel better, so you can do the things you want to do to to live the life you want to live. What's two hundred dollars in the grand scheme of things, really? Worth it. Oh, I oh. found a knockoff one that vibrates also ninety nine bucks. But you have to put it in your anus. <laughs> oh, that's the anal insert. One. Oh, so I got to think too that uh, you know we talked about before the podcast started, and I picked this up. It's called the Theraband. And this, I, uh, I heard about it. Something you carry around and just whack somebody with, right? Well, I always joke to my wife. I'm like, oh, this is my marital aid that I got. Uh, (laughs) And it looks like a freaking big blue dildo. And except for the eggs. That's what she's going to shove up your ass when she's mad at you. Well, I say it's a marital aid because I say if my elbows or my, uh, I get rid of my tennis elbow, I'll be able to do more things around the house and that'll make you happier. So it will aid our marriage. So technically it is a marital aid. I like your tact on that. One little ipso facto on her. So what it is, is it's a, it's like a rubber tube and you hold it. And I have, you know, I've got some, some nasty tennis elbow-ish stuff going on. It's and this about is about the size of like a uh like the width of like a what uh a Red Bull can or something. It's a little I'd say but yeah, I'd say about diameter of a Red Bull can, but probably you stack about two, two and a half cans. So it's a good size and which it's it's flexible and you can twist it. So what you do is like so my left elbow is one that bothers me. So I hold it in your left hand straight up and then you grab it like a backhand grip with your right hand and you twist so that your right hand after you've twisted it is pretty much just straight and the left just rolls back to like a, a, a neutral position and you do this, you know, 10, 15 times, a couple times a day. And it's supposed to strengthen your, the, the ligaments and the muscles in your, your arm so that you can get that strength back and fight off with the tendonitis of the, the tennis elbow in your, uh, your arm. And nice. I heard about it from the Joe Rogan podcast. And as soon as I tried to get it, or I got like a, like I listened to it a day or two after the podcast came out and it was freaking sold out on Amazon. So <laughs> I got like, a, instead of getting like the, the freaking badass man version, I got like the dinkier version and it was available and I got it. And I was like, this is too easy to use. So I waited a few more weeks with another Amazon order and got like the man, the man strong, extra strength one, which has been, uh, been pretty Theraband. pretty good yeah i like it theraband yep they do uh they do exercise bands too like those you know the the rubber um it looks like a giant thick rubber band that you know you can use for doing like leg and arm workouts i see it's in stock it is it's back in i just got this like two days ago i think oh, it came. i have the uh the teal one as well which is like the medium one because i was doubting my manliness which i should never do uh Never doubt your manliness. Green, red, orange. Yeah, they're just different, um, different gauges and different resistance. So the blue is like the heaviest resistance, and there's like a teal, then the red, then the orange. Yeah, but you get like a whole pack of all of them too. A pack of them. But yeah, it uh. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Because I tell you what, uh, tennis elbow. I got that. I think I injured myself on a on a ski trip carrying luggage. (laughs) Stupidly oh. enough, oh. Oh. I think I was like, let me just put this. I was lifting 
don't know because you know how you help everybody with their luggage oh you never do that why would you do that what's your name yeah. is, it Mr. is it porter are you a porter because oh, i'm the guy that was it a woman you were helping I'm sure it was. There's so many people on the trip that stand there and wait for their bags to get on. We're like, get your fucking bag and let's get out of here. So you just start chucking stuff. But anyway, I think I the strained path my, to I hell know. is paved with good intentions. Right. Uh, <laughs> I think I strained my uh, like my my forearm, and uh, I had that thing was bothering me for like I'd say six or eight months. It was crazy. Did not go away right away. Yeah, it sucks. That's I'm when also, you realize, like, you never give your body a rest. Like, you're always using your arms and your hands, and you know, you ever have a hand injury? It's like you're using your hands for everything. Like, you never like stop using your left hand or you stop using right. Like, you're always engaging those muscles. It's like you know, you know, really funny if one day you went to work and you like kind of tucked your arms in your shirt. I thought about that and just showed up and just sat there at your desk all day. And you're like, why the hell aren't you using your keyboard and your mouse? Like, yo, just rest day, bro. I can't do it. I thought about when I had that tendonitis, like putting my arm in a sling and just going to work and just using my left hand, just keeping a sling. Why not? Put both arms in slings. I can't do anything today. Yeah. (laughs) A lot of work sick. Now I'm giving, it's a rest day for my body. My mind today. Edge today. (laughs) It's a thinking day. Well, so with this Bell's palsy, this stupid, uh, my right eye wasn't closing all the way. So uh, I was like, you know, like an eye patch, they say put the eye patch on, protect it from stuff, whatever. I was like, when do you give your eyes a rest, right? My eyes are always strained. I'm straining them at work. And when do they get a rest, right? They get six, seven, maybe eight hours a night while I'm sleeping. And then other than that, you're like, you know, concentrating on stuff. So why not wear the patch like for a whole day? Just like put the patch on. Uh, it's left eye rest day, man. And the next Stevie day, Wonder. Put it on the other side. No, it's Stevie Wonder Day. <laughs> You're being superstitious. You're not doing this. Both both eyes just just patching them up. That's right. Blindfold day. <laughs> it's blindfold. Rest is super important. That's one. That's one thing in the summertime we got to take advantage of. You know, to prepare for ski season is is get some rest. You know. Yeah. Also. Uh, Good time to get, you know, get your uh, medicals checked up and rebalance your supplements if you take supplements and diet and stuff like that. So it's a good time to do that. Diversify your bonds. First, that's right. Pay, yeah, pay so, dividends later. Yeah, we, I found a cool story this past week about walnuts and how they impact your gut biome and improve health. This article is from Scientists or Science Daily. And this source was from the University of Illinois College of Agriculture, Consumer, and Environmental Sciences. And it mentions that a diet rich in nuts, such as walnuts, have shown to play a role in heart health and reducing colorectal cancer. According to new studies from the University of Illinois, the way walnuts impact the gut biome, the collection of trillions of microbes or bacteria in the gastrointestinal tract may be behind some of those health benefits. Walnuts are just one in a line of foods that contain dietary fiber and have interested scientists for their impact on the gut biome and health. Dietary fiber acts as a food source for gut microbiota, helping 
the bacteria do their job, breaking down complex foods, providing us nutrients, or helping to feel full, for example. Uh, findings from the study published in the Journal of Nutrition show that consuming walnuts not only impacted the gut microbiota and microbial-derived secondary bile acids, but also reduced LDL cholesterol levels in the adults participating in the study. Good news for cardio, metabolic, and gastrointestinal health. Hmm. And if you had taken just a handful of nuts every day, a handful of walnuts is able to reduce your LDL cholesterol, increase your gut biome, and uh, yeah, simple, easy, delicious walnuts are able to make such a big difference. It's really cool. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah, three different bacteria, it increased. Facilia bacterium, roseburia, and clostridium, which all sound important. Hmm. So grab some walnuts. The walnuts goes a long way. That's right. So recently, I actually introduced a little bit of diatomaceous earth into my diet. Let's you better look that up. But I came across it because I was looking at just um, natural like detoxification things. Mm-hmm. And they say a little bit of diet to make sure they actually put that shit in everything. So you already have it in foods. Uh, so they're saying if you, so I actually put it in my shake, my kale shake. So I put oh, that nice. little protein powder, I mix it in. So I probably don't even have a whole teaspoon, but they're saying um, it actually helps detoxify and eliminate a lot of like bad shit from your body. So oh, that's has, awesome. Has silica, so and it's used for everything. So it's funny they use it for for uh, killing bugs. So they're saying if you got like fleas, bed bugs, or whatever, like this is the powder that kills the eggs and kills the bugs. Like it kills any thoracic like creatures because it dries them out. Oh wow! Um, but you take it in your body. It has silica and it has like a lot of like stuff good for hair nails, like and just detoxify detoxification of your body so um yeah so i figured get the food grade you gotta get the food grade one the, the non-food grade will fuck you up but, yeah um yeah it's very interesting stuff it's really weird it's like it's like super dry like if you touch it it's like weird but huh. they're saying it helps restore like you know skin quality and collagen and like hair quality like everything it's pretty Pretty interesting. So I figured I'd, I'd try it out, see see if it bodes well for me, and, uh, and just I don't take it every day because it's only when I have my shake, which is about four days a week. Yeah, yeah. So it's interesting, and it's non toxic. I mean, if you use it like for because you could put it on like anything, like you can put it on plants to like try to kill bugs, and because it just dries stuff out. So really weird stuff, but. So something nice. to look into, but you know, trying to try to hack your life, you know what I mean? Yeah, it's uh, you know, it's tough to to find definitive evidence of what you should or should not be doing. But I just ordered the. Uh, did you get in on the on it? Um, oh yeah. So I bought the uh, the gut the gut packets, the gut flora packets. Oh yeah, yeah. So I figure I try those, see how those go too. Who's the nice. gut flora? Cause that, I tell you what, your gut flora uh, is responsible for a lot of health benefits. 
Yeah, that's why I try to do kombucha and get some, you know, probiotics in my in my life to to get more healthy gut biome. Yeah. Which I'm vaporizing with my Greek yogurt. Oh, Greek yogurt. Greek yogurt too. And if you can find the full fat one, the whole milk. That's the way to go. Cabot. Cabot whole milk Greek yogurt is the best yogurt you can buy. So good. Get it and add your own fruit to it because the amount of sugar they dump in those when they put the goo in there is just not worth it. Yeah. I hate goo. I hate the freaking goo in everything. Pies and yogurts. I don't want the goo. I want the fruit. Fruit. Yeah, so that's good. I usually do that and uh, every once in a while I'll, do, uh, I'll crave a little kombucha. Get a little of that in there. Lately, my, my like dessert, quote-unquote, treat has been to get uh we go to costco and we get the the frozen cherries the organic frozen cherries you get those defrost them and then you do that with the cabot whole milk greek yogurt plus costco has this granola i forget the name of the brand but it's a um grain free paleo granola so the main ingredients are like almonds and coconut and honey and just sprinkle that on top. And so it's almost like a super healthy cobbler, like cherry cobbler. It is awesome. It is so good. Hmm. Very cool. Yeah. Yeah. And then in the off season too. So for exercise, like just to get ready and just to keep the body in shape, I do a lot of biking, a lot of stuff. That's just not a lot of high impact. Uh, I went fishing this weekend. I was running all over the boat. Uh, that was kind of a lot of, different exercise so i kind of try to mix it up but i wouldn't say fishing is a big exercise thing (laughs) yeah (laughs) usually sitting there drinking beer but uh we went out we went about 35 miles off the coast this weekend and uh almost ran out of gas on the way back so it was very interesting oh boy uh still a good day but yeah we were all the way out there 35 miles is far oh yeah we're out by the shipping lanes it was kind of we were out by the, where the uh, drug guys dropped their uh, packages. <laughs> so meth and mackerel. <laughs> That's right. A little cocaine wash up on the. Uh... Well, hey, what'd you catch? It's about a bag of coke. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah. So yeah, I'm trying to get more into my uh, mountain biking too this summer. Hopefully that'll happen as well. So again. Great stuff to prepare for ski season. And also, something you could do at the ski resorts in the summertime. Yeah. Mountain biking is nice, man. I tell you what, there's no... I'm down in Florida now, so there's no hills. But uh, I'm going to be biking. My plan is to be biking everywhere. I'm moving into my new place next week. So uh, I'm very close to the beach, like three miles from the beach. So my plan is never to drive a car there, just to bike or run or walk or whatever. Yeah, what a difference. Like, you know, last summer, you know, you were over at uh, at my place and we biked over to the beach to, you know, to Sandy Hook. And it was cool because like you see all the car traffic and they're all yep. kind of stuck there and we just cruised on by. It was right awesome. By. Quickest way to the beach. Yeah, for sure. Good stuff. So if you guys have any uh any summer tips, anything you're you guys are doing to get yourself ready for next ski season or things we should look into, please hit us up ski bum podcast at gmail.com or on all of our socials, which you find at ski bum podcast.com under the ropes. Mm-hmm.
first off, this is a follow-up to last week's story. We are talking about Bitcoin again. That's right. The new crypto. And for any of those folks who think that Bitcoin is a bubble, Bitcoin, quote-unquote, cryptocurrency, has just crashed 93%. Damn it. Losing all their bacon, man. Yes. So at one point, the... uh, this fake cryptocurrency that we talked about called Bitcoin was worth one Bitcoin was worth 42 slices of bacon, which is equal to three one pound packs of Oscar Mayer bacon, but it has now plummeted and is now currently only worth four slices of bacon. Big crash per Bitcoin. Yeah, it's been uh, it's been a bit volatile. So if you were on this about three hours ago, one Bitcoin was worth twelve slices, and then it dropped to two, and now it's up to four. So Bitcoin is uh is is moving and shaking, <laughs> and I think it's only it's only a few weeks left in the whole Bitcoin thing, right? And it's five oh not even five fourteen. So then next week. Yeah, today's the 10th, four days. Yeah, Monday. Monday the 14th of May. I think this weekend is going to be a rally. That's what I'm... I'm oh, it's going to be huge. I, I can see it ending at about 20. Huge. Huge, big run-up. Bigly. It's going to go up bigly. <laughs> Tremendous Bitcoin. Tremendous Bitcoin. <laughs> a big Bitcoin game on. All right. All right, so we'll watch the Bitcoin prices. We'll let everybody know if it goes up and, and when to buy in. Uh, <laughs> all right, next up we have, don't give your DNA to giant genetic databases. Um, so the Golden State Killer, if anybody hasn't been following this story, so there is a crazy serial killer um, that got caught recently. Um, and part of how he got caught was they searched the DNA database and they matched on... They matched DNA from a crime scene with similarities in, I think, one of his relatives, like his uh, his son or his nephew or something like that. And then they tracked it back to him. Turns out this guy was a cop in uh, which where, what state was it? This was in uh, California, right? Mm-hmm. So he was he was a cop, and basically he would break into people's houses and do all this ridiculous, horrible stuff to them, like make him have sex, kill the guy, kill the woman, rape the woman. Like it was, it was all this crazy stuff. Like he would, he was, he was a rapist and a killer. And, um, there were a lot of, uh, like crimes attached to the serial killer. They didn't catch him for years. So they finally caught up with him. And what happened was, um, they got the DNA sample because, uh, his relative sent the DNA sample into one of these sites that, you know, one of these companies that said, you know, that that say, well, we'll get your DNA and we'll uh, log it and we'll tell you where you came from or if you have any any, you know, defects or whatever to, to watch out. That's for. like the Twenty Three and Me or Ancestry. Exactly. Um, those kind of sites, yeah. Right. I don't think it was one of them, but it was something like that. And what happens is now it, it brought people aware to the law where you send your DNA to them, and it's just like if you sign up for. Google or Facebook, you're actually giving your private information to them to use for their marketing purposes. So part of that marketing purpose is now the, the cops went in and they 
looked in this database and it was freely open based on the uh, rules that you sign into when you when you sign up for these these services. So that's how they did their search. So the sample was, you know, the search was attained legally and they didn't have to even have a search warrant to go search the database. It was like open. So yeah, these services, everything always seems so <laughs> cute and happy in front of the commercial. It's like, I learned that with 5% Native American. That's so yeah. cool. But yeah, they're freaking sequencing your DNA and they're storing that in their databases. Yeah. Now I saw Vice did a, uh, a a big thing on this because China is doing it now. That's state run, so they're actually getting all their people genetically sequenced in this huge, massive database, and it's it's creepy. But that's how they run in China. Um, and well, aren't Chinese like all just clones of one person? Ah, uh, it's crazy stuff. Uh, they have the whole Vice thing was was creepy because they were showing how. They can actually take eggs and fertilize the eggs. These are human eggs, fertilize them. And then based on the fertilization, they can look at the DNA from the fertilized egg and say, okay, we have, you know, uh, five eggs. This one's blonde. This one's, um, you know, dark haired. Uh, this one has blue eyes. So it's basically you fertilize human eggs for a couple and you say, okay, which version of your kid would you want to have? And That's could, crazy. And you could pick them and then they put them back into, into the mother to carry to, uh, to term. It's, it's, it's crazy. It was, of course, it cost a million dollars. And then they had another one recently with a, with a company that does, um, they not only genetically sequence you, but they go into the genetics and a full body scan, everything. And they actually try to get you to live longer and stuff like that. It's really, huh. re- really pushing the edge of science, which is, in a cool way to try to keep you living longer. But this is where the creepiness comes out. So they're saying, um, this article actually notes black mirror had an episode, uh, the U S calendar, of course. And it was about a creepy man harvesting DNA from his coworkers and then using that to create this like uh, simulation, computer simulation that he would go into and play every night in a creepy way and like do shit to them. It was, it was really crazy mm-hmm. stuff. Yeah, I remember that one. That was very bizarre and peculiar. It was very cool, but very creepy and weird. Yeah, I like the the last, the one uh, paragraph they had in here. They said, in the same way that we should be careful about who we give our social security numbers or fingerprints to, we should also be careful about who purposely we give our DNA to. Yeah. I understand that DNA sequencing offers lots of promise in personalized medicine becomes more attainable and that online DNA sequencing companies have likely helped some people learn they have certain genetic diseases. But, you know, I would suggest that you did not submit your DNA to these tests. That's what this article kind of concludes. You know, I thought about, you know, trying to do one of these services where they sequence your DNA, but then I thought about it. I was like, what are they really going to tell me? They're going to tell me I have the genetic um, ability to get XYZ disease. Bell's palsy? Bell's palsy. (laughs) Or are they just going to say, you know, you're like, they do this ancestry thing. I love the the whole ancestry commercial where the guy says like he's English and he goes to England and then he finds out he's Scottish or something like that. Or he was German and he finds out he's Scottish. And I'm like, well, how do they know? They know that, 
there's a high percentage of probability that you came from this region, but that's assuming that they're right with where they're pinpointing their, their data on. So yeah, there's science to it. And I don't know. It's, it's interesting, but it's also, I, I don't know what's the other catch to it. And I tell you what, this leads to the other catch of it is they have your fingerprints on file. Your, your DNA fingerprint is on file. Now. I think a lot of it is just preparing for the world cup and they want to make sure you buy a Jersey for the right team. I think that's what it is. Got it. Genetic sequence. You're going to like the red Jersey versus the blue Jersey. Yes. You're, you will buy an English Jersey versus a Dutch Jersey. <laughs> it's crazy. But yeah, I mean, what's the purpose? Would you, would you take your fingerprints and willingly send it into a company to say, Hey, why don't you store this and see how my fingerprints compares to, uh, I don't know, other people like, you wouldn't do that. So why would you do the same with your DNA? So unless it's for a medical purpose, I just don't understand why people would do that. Seems like a bad idea. Yeah. It's just, it's weird. But they paint it as a cute thing on TV. It's a cute way to find out what you are. Yeah. I remember being in college and this is how old as fuck I am. Um, (laughs) I remember they used to put up your scores, your grades, and they put your social security number to obscure. Holy crap. Really? Yeah, so they'd put it up like you'd have a lecture hall of 500 people and they'd be sheets up with your social security number and your grades. Crazy. A different time. Different time. He was just, yeah, yeah, he's your social. Oh, what's your social? Yeah, that's your, okay, cool. I'll look it up. Spread it down for me so I can look it up for you. Yeah, right. Absolutely bizarre. Nowadays, you'd be like, what? You're using what? <laughs> so I think it's a little bit of that too. Yeah. So be careful out there, people. Yeah, it's it's weird. There was a remember that movie. I don't know if you ever saw it, Gattaca. Oh yeah, with Ethan Hawke and Noah Thurman and uh, Jude Law. Yeah. Um, in that, remember, like they were they would check his hair sample every day to see how he's doing, or take his DNA, and he was like swapping DNA with the other guy uh, to fake who he was because he was an imperfect person. <laughs> It was weird shit, but like, then you get to that level of like, okay, well, at what point do insurance companies get it and say, you're going to have to pay a higher premium because your DNA says you're prone to cancer or something like that. Like that's where it gets creepy and just, you know, and I think this whole Gattaca thing, the movie was based on the premise that people were basically separated into classes of people. Like you're a perfect person versus a non-perfect genetic person. Mm, Yeah. It's crazy. So. Where does it end, right? That's true. Follow the money. I'm glad they caught the serial killer because the guy's a creepy, evil piece of shit, and I hope he burns in hell. Yeah, right. He did a lot of bad shit. Uh, I was, I, uh, I think Dateline did a story on it, and that's why I, why I know so much about it. And it was just like they were describing some of the shit he did, and I was like, he should, he should burn in hell. I mean, and he was a cop. Think of that. Yeah, that's it's pretty gross. I mean horrible so I'm, well i'm glad they caught him giving your stuff to genetic testing is pre- pretty creepy too the yeah, one thing they mentioned in this article too there's another company that is called poo prints <laughs> and they begin offering services which sequence the dna from dog shit that had been left in the common areas at condos in order to identify the dog and the owner who left it there awesome i used to live in a condo and people used to not clean up the dog shit and it was a big deal. I didn't have a dog, so, but they would put around flyers like, if anybody's seen who didn't pick they up the dog. They took a picture shit, of it. They're like, can you identify this shit? Is this yours? 
it was it was like a, a witch hunt to try to get the dog shit offender like you know to, to stop because it's like you know it's a community you're living in so it's pretty funny they they do the genetic identification of the dog it's very creepy yeah i'm sorry uh you have a dog you're gonna have to register your dog poo with us so that we can match the poo if you're sequencing yeah but dna <laughs> but dna i think that'd be a deterrent to leaving the poo yeah i'm sorry i can't leave any trace of it you gotta burn everything or take a fake poo you take a poo that you find that's left and then if your dog poos you put that poo on top of that poo Mm. So you say, no, that's not my poo. That's the other dog. It's a lot of work. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, somebody's out there. Yeah, I'm faking the system. Yeah, but you cleaned up somebody else's dog poo, didn't you? You you lose then, either way. <laughs> yeah, but I'm so, not getting blamed. <laughs> so, this is a crazy story. Uh, you know, this past weekend was the Kentucky Derby and a lot of gambling going on. And <clears throat> Bloomberg had an article about the gambler who cracked the horse racing code. And uh, they start the article, man. Yeah, it's a long one, but we'll just kind of sum up a little bit of it. Uh, This dude, he, uh, him and his buddy came up with a system and they created a, uh, a computer algorithm with, was it like 20 some different criteria? And they, uh, they were betting horses based on that criteria and they were able to make like this guy's made like over a billion dollars in just betting horses because he, awesome. he created this proprietary system and somehow it worked. And it's cool. listening to like, they talk about his life and he was like one of those, he was probably like a, like a blackjack team back in like the late seventies, early eighties, you know, and he made like big money back then and just got out of that and moved to Hong Kong and then wanted to get into, you know, somehow got into horse racing and it's uh, it's unbelievable how much money he's made in that time. That's crazy. It's he so said one cool. year he made six hundred thousand dollars, and then he went into horse racing. It's a, it's like crazy. Yeah, this dude. Uh, what tells his first name? His last name is Benter. Ninety ninety one. He won about three million dollars. That's so crazy. I mean, guys like turning big numbers every year. It's crazy. Yeah. 10 million in 94, 95. That's when he bought his Rolls Royce. I mean. Yeah, it's pretty incredible. So all the links to the uh, show notes, if you want to check it out. It's a nice, long, really, really well done article. Yeah, the article is good. It was great. And hopefully it looks like they were getting ready for a book. So hopefully they turn this into a book or like we were talking like this would be a great like Netflix series. Cause the guys seem to have like a really, really interesting life from what you see. And I'm sure there's a ton of, ton of color to the whole story behind the scenes. Oh yeah. Oh, that was pretty cool. Yeah. They nice. said uh triple trio jackpot. They won. <clears throat> uh, and they're saying they were, up, they were up more than $50 million. <sighs> I mean, you're talking about <laughs> so, crazy. There's one section where they said uh, they started getting blocked. So they were like kind of a club that was betting together. And um, then they said they started getting blocked. Their accounts started getting blocked. So they said they sent, uh, would send his girlfriends directly to the racetrack with bags full of cash to do the betting for him. <laughs> in Hong Kong. It's freaking awesome. 
So fantastic. So yeah, there's a lot of, a lot of backstory to this, which is really cool. But I tell you horse racing, I love, I used to go and bet horses once in a while. Um, just the trotters, nothing, nothing big, but it's fun to go and watch the horses run and stuff. Yeah. I got a place five miles from me. So if we can figure out a, the, the system. Yeah, there you go. I could be the point guy. You'd be the point guy and give you a bag of cash and go bet a little bit, right? Hey, if you need people to lay bets for him, you know, uh, dot com. Just give us a call. We can work something out. Keep at gmail.com. Yes. A little fee. I'll play some bets for you. All legal. <laughs> All right. You want to finish it off for the week? All right. Let's finish this off with, if you're in Los Angeles, uh, JetBlue is going to deliver New York City pizza to Los Angeles for less than 20 bucks. You're welcome. So the way it works is JetBlue Airways um, is going to take pizza from Patsy's Pizzeria of East Harlem uh, from Wednesday, May 11th, which is tomorrow. Um, today, actually. Today. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> no, actually, it's Friday. yesterday. Yesterday. So Wednesday, May 9th, yesterday. Uh, through Friday, May 11th, which is tomorrow, only a few days, uh, they're going to take about 350 pizzas from Patsy's and deliver them to a customer's door in select areas of LA on a first come, first serve basis. So they're saying they're going to take the $12 pizza, 16 inch plain cheese pizza for $12 or pepperoni for $15, uh, and they'll deliver them. So I think this is really cool. They could do a little, uh, they're going to get a little. Uh, traffic on their website for people that want real New York pizza. So, uh, and they're saying the delivery will occur between seven to 10 PM each night. And, um, yeah, that's, uh, they're saying you can go to their website and you can order the pizza and it'll be delivered. So, so I wonder if they're actually going to, are they just keeping it warm on the plane or do they heat it on the plane or does it get heated before? See if they're, if they're smart, the, the right way to do it is get it par cooked. So they partially cook it at Patsy's. Oh yeah. They ship it and then cook it the rest of the way and then deliver it. That's finish it off in the plane. Yeah. Or bring it yeah. uncooked and then cook it. So I'd be interested to find out like what the, what the method is, but yeah, it's pretty idea. cool. Good. Good thinking JetBlue. We got the space on the plane. Might as well, you know, don't waste it. Yeah. Put a few, put a few pizzas on your lap, get a discount <laughs> off. You know? Perfect. All right. So I guess that wraps up the old week this week. So thank you so much for listening. Please check us out. Skibumpodcast.com. Send us an email. Skibumpodcast at gmail.com. We're on the socials. Twitter.com slash Skibumpodcast. Facebook.com slash Skibumpodcast. Instagram.com slash Skibumpodcast. We're also on uh, Pinterest as the Highfalutins and on SoundCloud as Highfalutin dash Skibum. Thank you guys so much for listening and we'll see you guys next week. Yeah, I stay tuned. See ya.